Hello, this is Daryl here, sending love as always. Thank you for tuning in. I just want to say, if you like this interview, you can check our website for companion workbooks, action guides, tools, checklists, templates, and show notes with links for everything mentioned on the call. Just visit bestbusinesscoach.ca. That's best, B-E-S-T, businesscoach.ca. Enjoy. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us. My name is Daryl Urbanski, your host as always. And today we are joined by Damaris Para, VP of Human Resources and Organization Development at the Medical City Clinic. And Damaris has a PhD in human resource management and ensures HR systems and processes are in place to support the overall direction of an organization. She has over 14 years of real world experience and is an expert in providing strategic leadership and guidance on the administration of HR management and organizational development to align with the company's vision, mission, and values. So I've asked her to join us here today to talk about people, processes, and profits. So Dee, thank you so much for joining us. How are you doing? Hi, Daryl. Thank you for having me today on the podcast. Yeah, it's good to have you here. Look forward to this. It's been fun. We had some giggles before hit and record. But before we hop into HR and managing people and all that, how did you even get started? Do you, were your parents in this field? Is this how you got into managing kind of people and profits? Oh, well, I've actually had a lot of experiences when it comes to different professions. You see, my background was not really HR, okay? I actually finished tourism, okay? And then because I wanted to be flight attendant at that time, but my parents had something else for me and they wanted me to be a lawyer. But things got differently when I've, when people get to fall, fall in love and they meet that someone and things suddenly change course. And so I took on a different field from that time. So I didn't pursue that dream. So... I went on to, to operations, but we had this small restaurant and hotel back in the province wherein I got to assist in HR as well as in even in the kitchen operations, really. And then eventually I said, my family is actually in Manila, so I'd have to transfer and be more focused there. And that's where I took off and just went on to apply to certain companies and eventually got in to become a school director, then in the field of HR. And then I said, really, I wanted something else really that's going to be going to take traction when I'm able to find that kind of purpose and connect to what I hope to find. I said the best way was for me to get into a management consultancy. And at that time I was already starting my PhD and was able to find some relevance in what I've been doing at work and then what I've been studying. And I said, okay, I'll go for this because I, I found the meaning of being able to help people, being able to help them thrive. Okay, because I've seen how I've grown as well. And it's not from HR and then all the way to becoming who I am right now. Okay, so I was able to be part of a certain path that just fell into place. And I didn't have some very definite direction at that time because my focus was my family. Okay, mm -hmm. but then eventually I had to make a balance of things. And so I was able to find that this is actually what, what I want to do. And that is in human resources. I love that. And I think it's really important. It's, I actually I made a couple people a lot of money. And then I ended up going to Toronto to help out some family of mine. And I got a four bedroom, four bath house in Toronto. And I got my younger cousins to move in with me and help them direct their life. And 
you know, you say you just fell into it. Sounds like path of least resistant, but I really love your approach because this was actually something I was telling my cousin, Caitlin, um, because originally she had just graduated high school, was going to go straight into university. And I said, you know what you need to do, Caitlin, you need to go get some real world experience and you need to go work or volunteer somehow, get some real world experience in the career you think you want to go to school for. And then when you know that you like that, then go to school for that. And that's basically what you like, what you did, it sounds like, right? Your work and study was back and forth. It sounds, correct me if I'm wrong, because it sounds like you said, yeah, at this time you already worked yeah. on your PhD. Yeah. So it wasn't because so many people, they go and they drop a ton of money and they spend four plus years of their life. Then they get out and work the job and they realize, I hate this. <laughs> right? I'm sure that comes up as an HR manager. You're like, you should have figured this out a long time ago, child. So I, I think just as a kickoff, that's a great tip for a lot of people. You need to walk a couple of miles in the shoes of the career you think you're, you want to pursue, even if it's voluntar- voluntarily, just to make sure that you really like that outcome goal. So I think that's just super, super smart. What was it about HR that you like so much? Okay. It's actually the interaction. It's actually the coaching part is the communication part. Okay. That you're able to make sure that people learn from systems, from things. Okay. But foremost for HR, the traditional part is really to fix things in the organization in terms of compliance and all that. Then we, you move on from the administrative part to the part on being a business partner, making sure that you manage the requirements of the business, the requirements of your stakeholders, then eventually the transformational part. Okay, so that's when you get to actually make a, a whole change with the help of all the other stakeholders when you get to try to build culture and coming up with seeing the end of the road when you come up with a roadmap that the outcome would be this from a certain starting point to the end point, you'd have that sense of fulfillment within you. That time when I was a consultant, I was able to assist companies from that fixing, let's say, interpersonal relationships like team building, being mm-hmm. able to assist that and then doing help assisting them and the more formal portion, which is the performance management system. And from all of these things that you do as interventions, I'd say that I'd enter in and then be able to fix this. But I would like to also get into a company and have continuity of the programs that I started that way I would be able to have more fulfillment on my end and see that I'm able to really fully turn around a business and not just a portion of what their actually concerns are. Can you, can you speak to building culture? Because I think culture is probably one of the most powerful things. I mean, and for me, it's similar to like a hive mindset. Like everybody at the company shares a mindset and correct, again, correct me if I'm wrong in any of this, but for me, it's like everybody in a company shares a mindset that is the culture and almost like the ethos is that, would you agree with that? And then how, so what's your definition of culture and how do you build culture? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's like, this is going to be a one semester thing, Daryl. <laughs> <Just laughs> <kidding. laughs> yeah. yeah. Can you summarize your PhD in just a paragraph? Oh my God. Really? Okay. So just to, in a nutshell, when we talk about culture, it's everything from the, the interface with the client, the interface with the, your products and services, if you're into that kind of industry, or the moment that the person gets to, or your employee gets to greet someone coming from outside, going to your store or something like that. But also for employees, like the moment that they come in and they 
do clock in or something like that, or let's say they start working, everything they get to feel, that's part of the culture. But on a more formal note, when you talk about culture, it's everything about strategy. It's strategy of the organization. It's everything about the skills, the structure of the organization, the systems okay, that's, that gets to be implemented, the style of leadership also. And so the staff, a more concrete note is that of the if you're familiar, okay, the 7S McKinsey framework, that's it. That's where usually I get to anchor when I talk about culture. And, but of course, everything here won't work without the shared values, okay? Mm-hmm. It's like that oiled machine that you don't have those values. You, your organization may be doing great, maybe having this high profit and all, but it won't be sustainable in the long run without those values that actually glue everyone together okay when hard times come okay what happens and this is where one company gets to be different from the other it's actually the mm-hmm. culture that's the one that sets them apart yeah i love that i love that so much yeah because it's easy to get along when the sun is shining when you have food in your pocket and you've got a pocket full of cash mm-hmm. you know who are you and you're tired you know you're tired and burnt out and you know you're hungry and it's cold and rainy, and you're broke, and you're having to make tough financial decisions. I love that. So that's where you're talking about the values really shine through. It sounds like the values are what the culture stands on. Is that yeah? And yeah. And when you talk about the culture, it actually starts with the vision of a company. Okay, what the company actually believes in. Okay, as and they get to work on so the vision, and then. What's actually the mission? It's not something that's just posted on a wall, okay? And then you just get to state also your values. Usually companies have that, right? If you get mm-hmm. to enter a certain organization, a certain company at the entrance, you'd see this, okay? Right. Or the hallway, it's, you'd find them. But right. people should be able to breathe this, okay? It's not just a memorized thing. It's the vision, the mission, the values. So that you'd know that are they able to actually demonstrate what they want, the direction that they have, something like that. And so when you talk about transformation, when you talk about culture building, it actually begins with what what kind of change are we going to have and why is it so urgent at this time? So it's actually understanding first the context of why we would, we would even have a culture change if that's the direction of the organization. And usually companies go for this when they want to have a shift of direction or let's say mm. a change of management, new breed of leadership, or let's say new business being acquired, mergers, acquisitions, and all those things. So we target behaviors and that's easy to actually actually look into when we find things that matter to them at the workplace. It's not just coming up with a workshop and then you talk to them and then they write down what's the uh, <laughs> what's <this? laughs> ideal, right. ideal behavior. Okay, so it's not like that. So making sure that the intervention has to be on that one certain thing that they actually are actually doing, let's say customer service. So if it's customer service, if it's what you want to build is about trust, then from the first touch point, you should be able to demonstrate this already. So what is it in the part of the greetings that already evoke trust? Or let's say the making of pizza. What is it that... When we talk about standards, okay, what is it that actually gets into, and we're talking of, let's say, continuous improvement as part of Mm -hmm. what you actually believe in. 
Okay, so what is it? It has to be married into the things that people actually do at the workplace. It's not mm. something that just gets to be ideal and gets to be published out there. I, I love that. So Jim Rohn is the godfather of the personal development. He was like Tony Robbins mentor. And he once said, motivation is not enough. If you have an idiot and you motivate them, now all you have is a motivated idiot. And so <laughs> I love what you're saying, because you're like, it's not just a workshop and I'm, that you're focusing on behaviors and behaviors are tough to change, right? Behaviors yeah. are difficult, but that's where the most meaningful change is had. Would you agree? Is that, I don't want to be asking you leading questions, but can you speak to behaviors in an organization? Are there good behaviors and bad behaviors? I'm, maybe that's a simplistic question, but I just think that it's an important topic. I'd like to hear you talk more about target behaviors and how, like, how do you change people's behaviors? Oh, okay. So when we talk about behaviors, it's very important when you get to hire someone, it's very crucial to establish expectations. That's why we do have in HR what we call as an onboarding program. And in the onboarding program, you align with the employee what's actually required of the role, what sort of culture that you have, the the expectations and all this, even actually at the time of not just the onboarding, but at the time of recruitment and selection, all of these things are actually being discussed already. And when there's an Mm. agreement, and that's when, of course, the employee gets to sign on the job offer. So on the onboarding, it's making sure that you already have to able to communicate what the company actually requires from the individual or from the employee. And from that, so you do have your, of course, behaviors, which are actually acceptable in the organization. And so what you're saying, are there bad behaviors? Okay. <laughs> what I mean, Obviously do? there are. Yeah. <laughs> okay. In the company, you talk about the ideal behaviors. Okay. It's like, why do you come up with a policy that gets to discuss about doing things wrong and doing things bad when you don't have those things? Like you're giving them idea that, it could be possible and that you're setting parameters already, but it's not even in the their mindset. So mm. oh, what fix ain't broke? How come you get into discussion of bad behaviors when you state the ideal behaviors is what I can mm. say. Okay. Mm. Mm. And that's when that's where values are actually very crucial because it's the shared way of doing things when it comes to certain rituals, when it comes to certain behaviors. So Mm -hmm. when you're saying like, it's also possible, Daryl, that when you do have the onboarding, the usual things that people get to commit could also be discussed, like things that they should prevent, okay, like attitudes that are not, let's say, acceptable Mm -hmm. in the organization. That's also possible, definitely, okay? But the focus is more of what are the things that make you successful in the organization? What are the mm. things that make you thrive in the organization? That's where the more focus should be. I love that. So I'm writing this stuff down. I think this is really important. So now, because I, you're dealing, it sounds, with larger companies. And so people that have a lot of resources, the economy of the world is really built on the small and medium-sized business owner. And for a lot of these people, they get into business because they're good at something and then they realize they need help and they can't do it alone. And then they try to hire a team and put a team together. And then they realize that is a whole different skill set that they, a lot of them don't have. What would you recommend to someone who's maybe starting out or struggling with managing a team and trying to shape culture and and make it work? Because a lot of people, they're having to share their salaries, right? When they hire an employee, that employee, that new role isn't 
not that there's a hiring plan and a dedicated budget out of that. A lot of these business owners, they need help. And so they hire someone, but that's an expense to them. And we both know, you and I know how expensive a mishire can be. And sometimes people don't fail. Sometimes people fail not because they weren't qualified, but because there was no onboarding program. There wasn't any stuff. So do you have any recommendations to someone who's either starting out or struggling with this? You mean like how to start, how to begin? Okay. Yeah. What would you recommend if you had a cousin or an uncle or something? I don't know if they have a catering business or even a dental office and they're trying to get yeah. help and build a team and they just have no experience in it. Where do they start? What What are the most important principles? All right. Okay. Definitely. They'd have to understand what's the direction of the business, okay? So what is it that I want for my company? How am I seeing this grow within this next few months and within this one year or two years? So from that part, okay, even if you're not an HR professional, you'll be able to identify, I need someone to be able to do this. And can this person do multitasking? And are the skills even, let's say, if they do multitasking, are, they, are the skills even related? Okay, because if they're not, then you couldn't, okay? Mm. And that, and because you'd say, I don't, I'm out of budget, but you're looking at, so for example, a financial analyst and someone from, let's say, reception, and you want them to do both, okay? Or someone who's really good at numbers and then another one who's supposed to be doing customer training and all that, okay? Mm. So make sure that the skills that you want for a particular function, they're actually aligned, okay? Because you come up with a certain competencies where... And this, the competencies are actually skills, not knowledge and attitudes, behaviors are actually mi mixed together. And that's what you look for in a certain function to be able to fulfill that in order for a certain work to be done. If you have, let's say, if you hire one, make sure that this person, when it comes to the work itself, okay, try to think if you'd have a multi-skilled person. Okay, you're lucky if you have someone who's really good at, let's say, speaking, talking, communication, and then someone who could also do your math, okay? Right. <laughs> Something like that, okay? Mm -hmm. But otherwise, you'd really have to do have two persons do, doing that, or you could actually do it yourself, the other aspect of the job, okay? So that's the first step. Second is you get to post. And where do you get to post these days? There's actually Facebook actually indeed or sometimes you mentioned like small businesses like a dental office or something like that usually your friends right but you're mm -hmm. very definite of course with what are the requirements is there an age requirement because is this work very physical they'll have right. to be carrying a lot of things they'll have to be working in this type of weather and all this so you'd have to consider that so the job specifications or let's say high polluting for someone who's actually starting the job to say job description. No, I don't actually have to come up with that because it's just a mom and pop store. Okay. So make sure you come up with an outline of what the person gets to do in a day. And then the requirements when it comes to the age, if there is, okay. And then, and then of course the work conditions have to be laid out and then that's it. Then you, of course, <clears throat> Post this, advertise this, ask someone who could actually help you out or something like that. The referral system is very much in place when it comes to small businesses, okay? Mm. They're really good at it. They're really good at it when it comes mm. to the refer this referral system. The next step is, of course, how much are you going to pay for this? 
Mm -hmm. And being able to search the market rate for that would help you a lot. How much more or less so you'd have to benchmark a bit. Ask around, okay? And you also have things, you could see it in, in the internet, okay? Go for Glassdoor. And in the Philippines, you can go for a job street or you could simply just type in and you'd have some results already. And you'd be able to do some benchmarks, okay? Mm-hmm. And also... you. From interviews of past candidates, that's where you also get some benchmarks when it comes to benefits, if you have those, and then and then if you intend to come up with benefits eventually. But to be able to plan, that's very important. So these things, mm-hmm. even if you don't have them yet, the basics have to be there. That's how you get to hire. Then you interview. And, and then you interview Foremost, you ask the questions on the basic things, the fulfillment of how the person would be able to fulfill the job. But one thing that's crucial is also location. Let's say like for my experience in the organization, location is very important because no matter how high the salary is, for example, or no matter what benefits you get to offer, if the person gets to travel like two hours right, and coming right, in and going right. home, going to be useless they're going to be burned out okay just the travel you could just imagine the traffic here in in the city okay so those things okay what else it also look into so once you're able to align when it comes to the very basic stuff is he willing to do this number of hours okay is it a part-time job is it an right. eight-hour job okay so then you go for you get to have a, for us, we have the six months, okay, at least a probationary period yep, yep, in the Philippines. Yep. Okay. I get to test, but it's important that conversations happen. And this is either you have a small company or a large organization. When we talk about performance management, that's the one thing that makes things define how you do things in the organization, okay, compared to the rest. It's the focus on performance. And performance is not just about when somebody gets to fail, not able to deliver this, not able to do that. Okay. Right. And that's where you get to have the conversation. No, it's an ongoing thing. Most especially when you have a new bee coming in. The first month is so crucial for this to be able to adapt the kind of behaviors that you want him or her to actually demonstrate or emulate okay so the first month so the coaching has to be there or let's say a body system has to be in place somebody would have to be teaching the person and watch it's so basic first okay watch see how i do things and we do it this way could be as easy as that or could be like if the person is experienced already and that function requires this uh, number of years of experience no need to go through that but at least more of making sure the person understands the big picture Okay, the direction of the business, the direction of this function and the outcomes. So that's the way to go when it comes to the first or the initial part. Conversations are very important. The crucial moment of having this moments that actually matter for an employee, whether person is actually doing a great job or just an average thing, or let's say he did something wrong, which is out of standard. Those things need to be discussed, whatever right, the situation right, right. is. I like, for at least for me, I found that I got this from Boy Scouts. It's the, they call it the edge method, which means explain, demonstrate, guide, and empower. So first you explain it, 
and you demonstrate yeah. it, then you guide it by doing it together, and then you empower them to do it on their own and come to you with questions. And now that's the model for training someone to do something and then getting them, getting detached from them so they're not dependent on you, so to speak. Daryl, you got it. You nailed it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. A pat on the back here. <laughs> so how, now let me ask, because you've got, how many staff, sorry, I don't have the number in front. How many staff are you helping manage right now? You've got 300, 500? Where is it? Are you in the HR or the whole organization? Yeah. yeah. We have about 16, the 17th person. So in HR, yeah. it would be. 17 HR, actually, and how many in the company? That's about over 1,300. Uh, over 1,300. Yeah, okay. So my number is way outdated. I had 290 in the company. So that's a huge organization. So obviously there's a lot of personalities. There's a lot of, you know, lives going on. How do you guys currently approach like employee training and development to help everyone continue to improve and grow? Oh, okay. Just last year, we were able to find this. We were able to summarize an individual development plan of our employees. And we saw similarities across groups of what they intend to learn about for this coming year, okay? And there was a clamor for productivity. There was a clamor for time management. And so we've actually started to do that, okay? Mm. So how a company does is actually, usually there's a, there's a framework, okay? Like a competency framework, right. what we call, that supports the vision and the strategy of the company to be able to get here, to become number one, to become, let's say, okay, the mover, all right, what would be the behaviors, the skills that would actually support this? And that's where the competency framework comes into play. Let's say you come up with a framework or let's say the list of skills, the behaviors, the ideal ones that are actually relevant for the associate level, the entry level, and then next, you come up with another one for the supervisors, okay? Mm -hmm. And then, or let's say the officers. And then the third, you have the managers and up, okay? So you usually have those companies, usually have those approaches, okay? So you have three programs, okay, for associate levels, and that would be like 90% of our population, for example, okay? So what are the programs that we want to roll out? for the year. And this has to be calibrated because the schedules vary. We're every day of the week. Okay. Even like holidays, our clinics are open, but we're not 24 seven, like the hospital. Okay. Right. So <clears throat> our presence is more of a daily thing every day. Okay. There's no day that we get to close something like that. Okay. But our, of course, our people have their two day leave. Okay? Right. So they do shifts. So we do schedules. We roll this out, okay? Before the pandemic, I don't think I don't think webinars were even in place, and it was not something that was thought about that would be effective for people. But at that time, blended learning was already happening. Being able to see people on your laptop and simulating some of the things that you get to learn, there were already forerunners of this. But in the Philippines, it wasn't much of a right. thing. But when the pandemic hit, then everybody was all, they were all in, what? <laughs> Webinars, okay? This podcast and all, okay? It's a two-pronged approach. You have the face-to-face -face and you have something for, let's say, people who couldn't be taken out because of location. Let's say they're in right. the province, okay? So 
you have the online and you have the face-to-face. -face. We've mm -hmm. also made it a point for us to actually deploy our some of our training personnel or our people to actually conduct trainings in a central location in the province, okay, in the south area, in the north area. And that's a time that our number of our employees get to be excused and they have a half-day training or a whole-day training. Mm. So they no longer come to the head office. It used to be in the head office. Mm -hmm. But that's not also, yeah, it's not also something efficient for our people who'd come from, who'd travel all the way, okay? Right, right, <laughs> right, right, parts, right. Metropolis. So that's how we do the trainings. And so we identify first, what is it that they need to be equipped with to be able to support the business? But that it's also coming from, apart from feedback from the performance evaluation that transpired the previous year, our experience also with, some other stakeholders, what does this group need? What does this group require? Okay. And so something like that. Okay. Mm, so mm. there has to be a marrying of the initiatives to that of the programs. Right. Yep. Yep. So can you repeat the levels again? The first level was associate level. Okay. And then next is you'd have a program for the supervisors right. or your officers. Okay. And then the last one is a program for managers and up, or yeah, executives. Right. Executives. And so what's the breakdown? You said 90% are associates. Yes. Sorry. Breakdown. That's 90% uh, are associates. Would that make what? 7% supervisors and 3% the executives? -ish? Yeah. Yeah. That's the count that we have in the company. Yeah. No, that's fine. That's fine. That's fine. Yes, so yes. the training programs have to marry the company initiatives. You do both a blend of face-to-face -face and digital. Yeah. It sounds like you do individual training programs, but then you also, you were talking about like a summarize of the company, right? Like com company-wide training almost or level, oh, yes. level specific. Yes. So what are some of the specific skills and behaviors right now? You mentioned time, productivity and time management. Was that for all the levels? What are some mm -hmm. of the skills and behaviors that you feel are important for your staff to improve and develop right now? Okay, but this time around, it we started off as a kickoff for this. We had a next level customer service program. Mm -hmm. Okay, like up to uplifting customer service. It's already a 102 for us. We had the first one purely online last year. Mm -hmm. And then because of the pandemic, okay, 2021, 2022. And then 2023, certain part of 2022, we started doing face-to-face -face for a customer service program. And mm -hmm. then again in 2023. So we're almost done. Okay, we're almost done with that. And now we've shifted already to productivity trainings mm. for our all our associates. Okay, that would be for all our associates. And then after which we will go through, through self-awareness, EQ. Emotional quotient is very important. And that's not just being clamored by our associates, but also being requested and needed also mm. by our leaders. Okay, so... These are the things that we will be busy with for the year, but we've already started with a coaching program for our managers. Mm -hmm. Again, it's a second level. It's a level up as well, okay, for us, because last year there wasn't, but it doesn't mean that we ju we're just starting as an organization to do this training. So, okay, I'm just coming from, let's say, the recency of what we've been doing. We had a right. preview coaching program last year. This time around is a level up more, let's say, Let's say you go to the basics of what the training, 
how trainings are done. So more of role plays, more of what they do. Okay. And these are not like memorized spills right. that they get right. to have in the training. Right. So scenarios for them to play out with. And it was really, okay, widely received that they were happy with the result because they learned more. That was the feedback that I was getting from the coaching program that they were having. Mm. But we also did, so simultaneous, all of these activities, we also did something for the officers. Mm. The officers, they had to go through basic supervisory program. Okay. The one that would get to equip them into the world of management. And that is the planning, leading, organizing, controlling that part. Mm. Planning, leading, organizing. Okay. And controlling. And controlling. I love that. So how do you measure the effectiveness of these training programs? Okay. When the training program are actually like, when these programs are soft skills, the effect is not as immediate as when you have a hard skill program, when you're able to see already results, let's say in numbers, for example. But when we look at, let's say behaviors, then we see that there's a like, the feedback that I got from our operations before when they were having some concerns in customer service. So our people have been taught how to do, how to receive calls. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Address people when they come in at the door and how to greet them and all of these things. They actually improved because we were getting feedback, like how come phones are ringing, things like that. Mm -hmm. And we're not being directed to this and that. Okay. Those things we get to, of course, you have the post-program evaluation or the report Mm -hmm. because in training, you have what we call as the training needs assessment. Okay. The training needs assessment. That's when you get to interview and get data, how the training should be done. Or let's say you come up with a curriculum, like just in school, what would be your learner's what should be the direction that the learners need to actually be, what's this, abreast with, okay? And so from that, from the objectives, then you get to match what would be the result of this type of training. So at the end of the training, there's a post or an evaluation if they learned something, what is it that they learned, okay? There's a pre-work and then the post-work. So that's very, you would say, and that's very subjective, okay? Mm-hmm. But the more objective one is that from the immediate heads or from the managers and other stakeholders, okay, from observations of behaviors, from feedback. And so we weren't having complaints anymore in the latter part of the year of last year. That's the, that was the last one that I heard, but I said, we shouldn't be complacent. And that's why a new program was born in the first quarter of this year. What's the yes. new program? That's the new that's that's coaching uplifting. program? Yeah, no, uplifting customer service. That's the customer service 102. Yes, yes. Got it, got it. What are some of the habits that you feel are most important for your staff to have? My people <laughs> in yeah. terms of habits, okay, being an HR a practitioner, it's not something very easy. They'll have to wear multiple hats for this, okay? But consistency is very important. Consistency in the way we do things, okay? Because it's an organization that has to breathe trust because that's our vision, okay? It's a trust-based organization. So all of the things that we need to do, they have to be more of, they get to have that curious mindset that if they have this to be implemented, is this going to be evoking trust or not? 
So we're very sensitive with those approaches. Consistency is one, okay? And then there's also what we call as communication. That's very important for us because remember, we're not one single facility. We're spread out yep. and we make use of technology to be able to release communications. Okay. In the past, probably it was just memo, okay? Because right. I just in 2020, so at the height of the pandemic, that was the time that I joined. And when I, I found out that a lot of the things that are actually being discussed or let's say provided, same goes with the rest of the industries perhaps out there and some other and a lot of organizations that they make use of memos and written documents and that's it. But that's not that's not efficient for us and effective. We make use of Facebook, eboard, okay. So we and we have also teasers for our communication. Hmm. Part fact that we really have to partner strongly with our middle management because they are our, our link. They're mm. actually our link to our associates. Yeah, that makes sense. A lot of what you've been saying really fits with the research that I've done. My track record, I've helped a couple of companies make a couple of million dollars. And with this podcast, we've interviewed over 400 experts. But like you mentioned with the pandemic, everybody was arguing about the science in 2020. Mm. And I, the man that raised me, he worked in applied physics and geology, which were our hard sciences. So it got me thinking, what does the science have to say about business success? So I hired seven research teams to help me go through. I say seven research teams because some were like two or three people, right, in a location. But this was across Canada, U.S., Nigeria, Philippines, Pakistan, Thailand, Australia. So we had people from all over that helped out. And we went through all the academic literature we could. Basically, we tried to do like a systemic review, like a meta-analysis of meta-analyses on business success to say, what are the critical success factors in business for small and medium-sized businesses? And uh, we came up with eight critical success factors that all, everything from HR, cybersecurity, legal compliance, market, all those fit into. And those are self-efficacy, market intelligence, strategic planning, marketing strategy, sales strategy and skill, money management, business operations, and business intelligence. Those are the big umbrellas. And then once we knew the big umbrellas, we started diving into each individual factor. And self-efficacy is what's three things. It's personality traits, leadership skills, and personal disciplines. So what you've been talking about really fits in for that part where like the personal disciplines are things like discipline, and a sense of urgency and time management and personal disciplines like sleep, diet, fitness, mental health. But then with leadership skills, for us, we identify leadership skills as self-awareness skills, communication, cooperation skills, emotional intelligence skills, adaptability. So these were the cornerstones of that. So I just think that what you've been saying based off of your experience, just it really fits with our research really well. I wanted to ask, where do you feel the future is headed? with HR? Like where are things going in terms of the HR industry and helping with training staff and measuring effectiveness and helping people and, or even replacing people because of new tech developments? Where do you think we're going to be in five, 10 years? Okay. With, let's say that with the advent of AI, it's actually a, something that people get to be scared of, but it should be something that should be taken really alongside with something that's going to support the business, something that's going to be helping us out. Yeah. So a more positive approach should be taken note of this developments that happen. Uh, that's also what happened when we had the HRIS. And boy, did it really change the landscape of 
managing something very administrative, especially when you have, let's say, a thousand people or more than a thousand people. You can just imagine, let's say, some companies running businesses all over the world and they have thousands of people out there. And if you Mm. can, they'll do manual. (laughs) You just imagine that. Okay. When it comes to HR, it's not like before already that it was easy to hire. Before the pandemic, it was easy to hire for a lot of businesses out there. But this one really changed the landscape for everything that we do. Okay. So even the way we do things in hiring, it wasn't effective anymore. So even the way we tried to attract people became more of a different landscape. Like we were no longer competing with organizations of the same within the same industry but we were also competing in a different okay or an allied industry to be able to get our applicants okay the main attraction with all things being equal here Daryl is about culture that's just where it would boil down to so now the focus is more of once you are able to bring in this employee how are you going to make him or her stay longer in the organization? Okay. So the tenure is very crucial for our health allied workers. They go abroad. Right. Okay? They cannot compete with the money or the compensation itself, the rewards right. that they get to be provided there with that of here in the Philippines. Okay. But yeah. what you could actually offer them is an environment. And that's where an HR professional should be able to think through what sort of environment are you building for the organization? Would this environment make them feel at home? Would this environment make them thrive as an individual, thrive as a professional? Those are the things that sometimes also keep me awake at night (laughs) as an HR practitioner. Okay. And so foremost is... One is for the certain skills that we have to build on is interpersonal. That one, Mm. you cannot, okay? It cannot be part of AI interpersonal because this is already your interaction with the team, okay? And being authentic, it can't be replicated because again, it's all about being one with them, joining Mm. them. Like for example, Mm. I give you a specific example. We have a Zumba, we have this, activity like Zumba and usually it's done on (laughs) online okay so since our locations are spread out people get to watch us but I said hold on okay the first one that's okay but the succeeding ones we do it alongside with them Mm. so it's like we're doing caravans for Zumba so we get our people to join us and that would be together okay it's not just we are in a castle and you can just see us and and we do these things so being one with them and I think and I believe that's something that would be appreciated down the line because they get to feel our presence also mm. with them. Okay? Mm. So next is empathy. Empathy as an organization in this time and age, it's actually what is required. Before, it was one of those things that could be taken for granted. But I mentioned it's a different ballgame now. So the kind of culture that we're actually building is more for them for them to actually stay and feel that they are relevant, that they're important, that in here, in the company, they're able to find their purpose. Mm. That gets mm. to be connected. And that's a mm. connection that we want to have with our people. Yeah, I love this. So what I'm hearing from you is that because the hiring environment has changed, it sounds like there's a greater emphasis on training up 
the staff that you have and trying to keep people longer. So it's not yeah. as easy. It's not as easy to just hire for a specific role. You maybe need to work on building the people that you've got and then making your place a place where people want to stay. Yes. That sounds fantastic. And, and that's the whole gamut of the HR function from that of onboarding to that of performance management, to that of learning development, to succession planning. So it's the whole employee experience, hmm. okay, journey up until the time that they get to leave, because we have what we call as the, the we have a survey, an exit interview survey. And then the um, employee, the net promoter score for our employees. Wow, that's a good score. Yes. That's a good score. Because it doesn't end when the employee says bye-bye and it ends in no, okay? They'd always be part of the organization. And mm -hmm. so being able to make sure that they bring with them a good word about, of their, about the organization, that's something for us. That's part of branding. That's part of making sure that the exit is good for them. So when they go to places and they think about us, they think of good things. Right. right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I love that. You've given such great insights and info. I've got three pages of notes, I think, here. I want to be respectful <laughs> of your time, though. Is there anything I didn't ask you that I should have asked you? Oh, ah, okay. I'd like to go to that, because you mentioned about study, just one thing I wanted to share. Okay. Sure. Yeah, about the employee engagement study that I did a years, couple of years back in the Philippines. Okay, the different industries that I did for employee engagement, there were actually about 10, indus 10 different companies from several industries. And so what stood out as the one that actually engages people that has something to do with profitability is on the stress, balance, and workload which is, okay, what is actually being needed by our people these days when they talk about mental mental wellness. Mm -hmm. And it still is, it connects. And this study was done in 20, 2013, 2014. And it wow. resonates, but the wordings are simply just different. So being able to take care of them, making sure that they're not overworked, okay, right. the support system is there. And that's going to make them assist them to be further engaged with the organization. And when we talk about engagement, it's about the commitment that they have with a company. And this commitment translating to business profitability. And that's what that. sets employee engagement apart. I love from that. So <laughs> can I, can I yeah. read just to make sure that I heard that right? So you're basically saying that the things that boosted employee engagement the most in performance in that was making sure that they're not overworked. You said stress, balance, and workload. So I interpret that as that they're not overworked, that they have some sort of work-life balance and that yes. they're doing things to take care of their mental health. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's fantastic. I love that. What a great, I mean, who who would argue with that? <laughs> that sounds True. fantastic. Resonates these days, yes. Yeah, very much, I think. Dee, this has been such a great call. If people want to get in touch with you or they have questions and want to follow up, what are the best ways for them to reach out? There's LinkedIn. LinkedIn. All right. So go yeah. find her on LinkedIn. You can look up uh, Damaris, D-A-M-A-R-I-S, Para, P-A-R-A. That's D-A-M-A-R-I-S, P-A-R-A. She's Vice President, Human Resources uh, and Organizational Development at the Makati City or sorry, the Medical City Clinic, my apologies. Take a look, reach out to her, ask questions. She's very approachable, obviously very knowledgeable. Dee, thank you so much for coming and sharing with my audience. I know you've got a thousand direct reports that 
probably need your time and attention too. So thank you so much for just carving out a little bit of time to come and share with me and my audience. It's an honor. It's a pleasure, Zaryl. Thank you so much for having me. You take care. Have a great day.